It is, uh, and it, it is, and it has been my hope <clears throat> to begin a few series of things that I believe need to be uh, addressed, that would be helpful, uh, and that would be helpful in especially practical and applicable ways. I hope... And I, I hope and I pray that in each of the series that we approach, that I will be able to give a many helpful applications. Let me say something about applications. <clears throat> They're good. I'm thankful for them. <clears throat> but I've heard many good sermons that had Excellent applications. I've seen little change in my life and the people around me. Very often, applications leave us before we actually begin to practice them. You must practice those good applications or they do you no good whatsoever. The second thing to think about applications is that sometimes when we make an application or two, people stop there the applications are simply examples of the way that we apply the word of God we should be looking for many ways to apply those things that we hear sometimes people will hear an application that's good but then it never goes any further we want to see the broadness and the bigness and the beauty of how every truth of God helps strengthens matures us I will do my best is one of my weaknesses but I, I will do my best to apply more and more plainly and aiming more clearly at the heart so tonight I hope to start this series due to some of the outward reading uh, reading I will need to do outside of the scriptures uh, to make some of the applications that I would like to. Uh, there may be times when I will have to stop a series, preach something else, and come back to it. I spent many months studying the Sermon on the Mount before I prayed it, uh, before I preached it. I prayed it, and then I preached it, but it took months of reading and thinking, especially controversial passages. I don't have all knowledge, but I know him that does. And so my hope and prayer will be that all of this will be useful to you in some way. Some of them at the beginning may seem to be, oh, well, that's for people like that. And it's all for you, all of it. We had people when I first came here. It would say, oh, he's preaching about how to be a father and I'm, uh, my children are grown and out of the house. Well, you're, you're going to be a grandfather. You need to know these things. You're going to be a grandmother if the Lord preserves you. Well, I, I, don't, I don't have any children right now. You're around people with children every time you gather here. There are certain things you need to know about even dealing with them. <clears throat> it's all God's word. And even, uh, even things that may appear not to be useful to you at a moment um, may down the road become vital to you. It's God's word. Take it in. Pray about it. Apply it as you understand it. That being said, would you turn to the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> I recommend, as there's no law, I recommend, I suggest, if you like that word better, I suggest that you read Chapter 17, 18, and 19, um, 
after you've heard this sermon <clears throat> and read it a few times so that you get a better sense of the context that I will be moving through very quickly this evening. So Revelation chapter 19, if you would please stand with me, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word, pure, God-breathed, infallible. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, people in heaven. We don't know about that except to read about it. <clears throat> Saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! They were, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants. And ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God, omnipotent, reigneth. Amen. Please be seated for prayer. Father, we have had a blessed season of prayer. And I thank thee for the prayers offered in thy holy name. And Father, in thy kindness, many prayers were offered for the preaching of thy word this evening. Lord, answer those prayers. Feed thy sheep. These are thy blood-bought people. They need thee. They need thy word. They need Christ. They need the Holy Spirit. Thou hast given us that unction. We ask thee to fill us this evening with light and understanding. In the name of Christ, amen. <clears throat> Before us, is one of the most majestic and magnificent visions in John's apocalypse. Our passage follows the blazing wrath of God's judgment upon Babylon the Great, the great mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. In the utter destruction of that demon-infested and idolatrous city, Drunken with the blood of saints and martyrs of Jesus, we learn that God is the absolute authority over all things in the universe. As we see God's absolute authority revealed in Scripture, we will then learn how He delegates authority to his earthly representatives. He has many. He even gives authority to wicked, hell-deserving, and hell-going men. He delegates authority to angels. He delegates authority to many in this world. And our focus is primarily... Parents. Parents are representatives of the living God. 
They are the first representatives of God to their children. <clears throat> that means they have an enormous responsibility. We will also see that the fifth commandment given by God and angels under the old covenant is still relevant under the new covenant. Now, the name of our series, tentatively, is authority and the fifth commandment. Authority and the fifth commandment. <clears throat> and the title of our message is God's absolute authority. I say at the beginning and I will repeat throughout the series. God is the only absolute authority in existence. Period. All other authority. Whether it be angels or men, women, is delegated. It is not their own. They don't come with it. <laughs> but they do come in God's purpose and must realize what their responsibilities are when they are in authority. So may our sovereign Father teach us about His rule over all things through Jesus Christ the Son and may the Holy Spirit help us to see our blessed God's delegates. <laughs> may we see them learn to walk in their authority better. All of us do. All of us need to learn how to wield, how to use the authority that God has given us. We are sinful human beings. The easiest thing in the world is the abuse of authority. The hardest thing that I have seen thus far for human responsibility is the gracious, wise, biblical, and Holy Spirit-led use of authority. It's very hard to use it. <clears throat> I've watched it destroy people. I've watched it destroy pastors. I've watched it destroy parents and families. I've watched it destroy governments and nations. <clears throat> God is the only absolute authority. And we are responsible to that absolutely authoritative God to use the authority he gives us in a way that brings him glory. May God in his mercy help each of us to truly understand this issue and learn how to apply it well, especially in this series, Parents. <clears throat> so our first thought this evening is this. The Lord God is the absolute ruler of all things. Very simple. The Lord God is the absolute ruler of all things. In Revelation chapter 18, an angel with great power whose glory illuminated the earth cries out with a mighty voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils. Devils rule where God's authority is rejected. Do you understand that? Devils rule. You don't rule anything. It doesn't matter what you think. You are ruled by God or by Satan. And where God's authority is shunned, neglected, laid aside, just ignored, Satan rules. There's no middle ground. There is no other option. The Word of God makes that clear. And even Christians can step outside 
the boundaries of God's authority. And we can invite great sorrows into our lives when we do. <clears throat> now another voice from heaven follows in chapter 18, which many believe is Christ. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. That's a warning. Then follows the announcement of God's dreadful judgment on the harlot city, Babylon. The kings of the earth that have lived luxuriously, luxuriously with her weep and wail over her as the flames of God's judgment burn her up. Likewise, the merchants of the earth weep and wail over the loss of that luxurious and lavish habitation of devils as it goes up in the smoke and flames of God's wrath and judgment. So too, all the shipmasters and sailors who have traded with Babylon by sea will weep and wail over the fiery destruction of that great city. And then comes a call to heaven, apostles, and prophets to rejoice because of God's violent overthrow of Babylon, the habitation of devils. And another mighty angel throws a great stone into the sea and then announces the permanent destruction of that wicked, whorish city. Musicians and music, craftsmen and their crafts, light, weddings, and merchants will never be found again in that demonic hellhole. God's fury and blinding wrath fall upon Babylon because she deceived all the nations on earth with sorceries. This is demonic authority. When you look at the world, when you read the newspapers, when you see what's coming across in the news, what are you hearing most of the time? The work of Satan in his kingdom. God's wrath falls upon Babylon because she deceived the, the, the world with sorceries and idolatry. Don't ever forget when you hear that word idolatry. It's not just a statue. If you're covetous, you're an idolater. Thus says the word of God. God's fury, God's blinding wrath has fallen upon Babylon, and Babylon has fallen. God's precious prophets, saints, and all that were slain on earth will now be avenged. Now, the rejoicing in heaven because of Babylon's destruction is our next thought. Verses 1 through 5 in chapter 19. Verse 1 says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. I don't know why, but for the first time in all the years I've read this, I rejoiced with... I was dumbfounded that I had not thought about this more. Much people in heaven. There's not just a half dozen up there. It's people. It's not talking about the angels. It's talking about the redeemed. God's people. And there were much. In our day, we don't seem to see many. We want to see more. We want to see, we want to see Abraham's sky. 
We want to have the innumerable multitude. But there were much people in heaven when John was writing in this remarkable vision. So he heard a great voice. They were one as they spoke. A great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Heaven is a place of worship. John hears heaven erupt into loud, loud, joyful praise and adoration over God's triumph over the foul and degenerate Babylon. In other words, Satan's authority defeated. Heaven rejoices that evil finally faces the vengeance of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we're constantly leaving the vengeance to him. We love our enemies. We leave dealing with the unrepentant in his hands. We would either overdo or underdo the judgment. I mean, we're not any good at that with each other. <clears throat> Following the great, resounding, and thunderous worship that's taking place here, we hear in verse 2 the reason why. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. Now, when you read fornication in the book of Revelation, it very often means idolatry. They've gone to other gods. She corrupted the earth with her false religion. And hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. The whore's wretched, perverse depravity finally has received God's withering and catastrophic judgments. Her filthy fornication, her idolatry, her false religion, her occultism, her Satanism, her Luciferianism, her New Ageism, and all of the cults, and all of the dark doctrines in this world. She polluted the world with them. You're watching it. Paganism is rising in this country in astonishing numbers. Her bloodthirsty persecution of God's servants now comes under God's avenging wrath down to complete annihilation. Verse 3 says, And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. Can you put those ideas together? Heaven praising and worshiping that fellow human beings are being utterly destroyed in mass. It's exactly why the Lord said, get out of there. Stay away from this. Flee. Her smoke rose up forever and ever. These are flames and smoke of hell. This is, again, th these, these are images given to us that we can relate to. We do not know what hell will be like other than the images that the scriptures give us. The flame that never goes out. The worm that never dies. A darkness that never has a shaft of light. We have family members 
that are heading in that direction, except God saved their souls. Revelation is not a cartoon. It is images that speak in very powerful ways. There is Satan's authority that is now being crushed in this image by a greater authority. The second round of hallelujahs explode. It explodes from worshipful multitudes as the smoke of Babylon's destruction rises up forever. Forever. No one here understands eternity. No one here understands eternity. Think of the Think of the greatest pain you've ever had. Think of the greatest discomfort you've ever had. Think of the, the most dreadful things, sorrows and, and foul things that have attacked your mind. Think about them for just a moment and think about them never ending. Your mind can only go so far because you got over your sickness. You got over your broken leg. You got over uh, your, your, your teeth being knocked out. You got over all of these things. Your misery finally came to an end. It will never be that way for those who go out of this world without Christ. And you're, you're being given images of that right here. Babylon has fallen. She's preened herself up. She's the beautiful harlot that everyone wants. And those that have profited from her and sought her will share in her utter destruction and eternal misery. And yet, from heaven, we hear, Alleluia. Verse 4 says, The four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God. Now, I don't know what actually happens in heaven. I don't know. I can't imagine the beast. I try. I try to understand the images being set before us as the elders. But the image of people falling on their faces before God. I get that. I can see that. As I've mentioned before, it's one of the reasons John Calvin would regularly pray, let us all fall down before our God. They fall down. This is prostrate. They are showing that God is the authority before whom they bow. Before whom they bow. So joyful are the elders and beasts over God's vengeance of the great whore that they fall before him. They fall down before his glorious throne of triumph. Amen, which means so be it. They are amening the destruction of Babylon. Amen. So be it, Lord. As Christ himself said, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Amen and hallelujahs ring out through the regions of glory. Now, the contrast is astonishing. Praise, glory, Adoration, falling down, submission, praising. You've done what is righteous. You've done what is good. You have done what is true. And many of our fellow human beings will be in the number of those that will come under that wrath. 
friends, families. Who could read this and just get up and walk away? Then verse 5 says, A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye saints, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. So great, so glorious, so complete, so stunning is God's triumph that in the midst of the joyous worship of God, the call goes out to all elders, beasts, and believers to praise God who has triumphed over evil. Now, brethren, this is an image. But that image tells us of a reality. The time will come when we will praise God for judging the evil. We will praise Him. It won't be like, well... I think maybe this is a little too strict. Maybe this is a little too stern. But okay, we're glad you got rid of all that. No, this is joy. There is joy contrasted with unthinkable misery. Joy. And the text continues to point out that joy and it's joyful praise to God. Now, you know something of this as a human being. When you see that there is something wrong, you know that it's wrong. <clears throat> and then it is properly and biblically dealt with. And you're thankful. You're glad. <clears throat> now, you may not be clapping your hands and rejoicing and falling down before the Lord. But that moment is coming for God's people. We will praise him that he has destroyed those who have followed this wickedness. That's sober. And it's sobering. Charles Spurgeon's mother very often did catechism on Lord's Day with them, especially when father was out of town. And he had a very large family and all the children would be, sit around the table and mom would read the, the scriptures or a book of devotion to them, call them to Christ, encourage them, love them. But then she would say, this is not an exact quote, you can find the quote. She would say, children, you must come to Christ. You must come to Christ, believe his gospel. But if you do not, the day will come when I will agree with God when he damns you. That strong parental language, Charles Spurgeon heard it. He thought about it. He realized, my parents are telling me something. And I don't believe it. Not yet. That's sobering. And some would say, well, that's, that mom was too tough. That mom had many children that were converted. Because she told them the truth. What you do, what you think, what you say will be held against you in the day of judgment if you do not have a Savior. That's right. Every wicked thought you've had, every wicked word you've spoken, every wicked thing you have done with that amazing body that God has given you. Joy in heaven eternal misery well that brings us to our text
verse 6. The declaration of God's absolute reign. His absolute authority. If all this exuberant joy and praise were not breathtaking enough, John now says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah! Fourth time. This is praise going up. Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You get the picture? Chapter 17, you're given the whore in her worldly and sensual beauty. Deceiving the world. Drawing the world into the darkness of false religion and just sensuality. And destroying God's people. And then God begins his project, his judgment of destruction. And it brings praise and glory and worship in heaven. If I'd have painted the picture, everybody would be standing there sober. This is really heavy. Heaven is going, glory to the Lord God omnipotent. Glory, honor, praise, thanksgiving, evil has been dealt with. So John now receives one of the greatest hearing experiences imaginable. Hearing. He hears Three, he hears things in three ways. There were three responses to that call from the throne that says, praise God. That was a call to respond. And he hears it in three ways. Number one, John hears a great multitude. And that great multitude is... The same multitude of chapter 7, verse 9 of Revelation, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. That's the great multitude bought by the Lamb, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you want to stand in that group? That's where I want to be found. That's where I want to be found. And they were likely joined by angels and elders. They seemed to join God's people in the praise of God, but not for exactly the same reason. An angel will never know, will never know what it's like to be saved from your sin. No angel will ever be redeemed. They are devils that will be cast into hell. Or they are faithful and elect angels. That have never sinned. So they be, they'll be praising God. Because of the astonishing mystery that he has accomplished on our behalf. In Jesus Christ. They know that the angels that they were created with, they know that some of them will be in God's final damnation. No angel was ever saved, will ever be saved. Why in the world would God save us? But he did. It's called grace. Well, <clears throat> is probably 
angels, elders, and beasts all praising along with God's people who have erupted again in praise. There are waves. I don't know if you've ever been to one of the huge football or um, uh, soccer or any of the kind of athletics where there are thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people in the, in the stands. But there will be waves of cheer. They will lift up their voices when a particular play is made. Or they'll cry out uh, with their protest when they think a bad call has been made. But when their team is winning and, a one, and they make more points, however they do it, up goes the cheers. Everybody stands. This multitude is millions upon millions. And when they open up their mouths and praise God, it is deafening. John sees and hears that. <clears throat> well, number two, John hears a voice that was like standing under Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls in Zambia and hearing millions of gallons of water roaring over the falls. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to Niagara and to walk into one of the tunnels that comes out and you see those falls, just you're standing behind them. You can't talk to each other. It is deafening. You virtually have to put your hands up and try to yell into somebody's ear so that you can talk. All right. This is what John hears. It's like that. It's like loud and you feel it. And then number three, the voice of mighty thundering. Who has not felt the power of thunder? When I was lost, I didn't like thunder. After the Lord saved me, I loved it. I loved it. I hear it even, even we had a big thunderstorm here recently. There was a pow. It sounded like it was right outside my window. I felt it lying there in my bed. It was like, yeah. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. As it says in Job. Thunder shakes us. Thunder grips us. Thunder paralyzes some people. That's what's happening with this praise, with this glory, with this worship of God for destroying evil. They're moved. He, John is moved by what he's hearing and seeing. It is a now, we may not be able to shake the walls here, but when we're singing, we sure ought to try. When we are worshiping our God, there needs to be something alive about it. I'm tired. I understand that. I understand tired. <laughs> I really do. But I can tell you, brethren, when we come to worship, we need to plead with the Lord of glory. Fill us. Help our tired and weary bodies. And help us to magnify thee. Help us to sing with joy. At least sing from the heart. Even if we're singing with sorrow. From the heart. So much. That John sees here. Is staggering. If you sit and meditate. In an attempt to grasp. These unusual images. God's. Mighty thunder is spoken of throughout the scriptures. Think of the way God has used thunder. God thundered upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh. And Pharaoh begged Moses, please tell him to stop. It was powerful. It shook up the head of the most powerful nation around at that time. 
God's mighty thunder thundered upon the Philistines and it confused them. They lost the battle. God's thunder. The host of heaven thunders with its praise. May God grant us a little more thunder. Well, why all this thunderous praise? I mean, we already know, well, God has dealt with evil. And they've been called from the very throne of God itself to praise him for what he's doing. But here's, here's the reason behind the reason. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Isn't that an interesting thing to say here? Why didn't it say, and God conquered them all? That is what he's done. But it says they praised because they understood one thing. The one with absolute authority has used it truly and righteously. And he's dealt with evil. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Boy, those are remarkable words. And I'll tell you what, those five words are wonderful when you're struggling. And when you see the issues of your own flesh or the wickedness in the world, what we always need to remember is the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. <clears throat> He is the Lord of all earth, of all the earth. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, say the scriptures. He is the Lord of lords. Furthermore, this Lord is God. He is the great God. He is the God of gods. All of these come directly from the scriptures. This great Lord God is omnipotent. The Lord God omnipotent. The Lord God almighty. The one and the only one who has all power. All power. All it takes is for the grid to go down and most of the power we have disappears in a flash. That'll never happen to God. There's no flip switch. <laughs> There's no crossed wires. There's no enemy taking your power down. There is no one to take the Almighty down. None. None whatsoever. Heaven is rejoicing in the one with all power because he knows how to use that absolute authority. Don't you know that the angels have watched over the, the eons here, watched the wickedness on earth and, and thinking, when's he going to do something? When's it going to happen? When's he going to bring all this to the end? When's he going to deal with evil? Now, he does in ways, but it's still here, isn't it? Have you looked in the mirror and, and seen that there's a source of evil looking back? Thankfully, he poured out all his justice for our wickedness on his son Jesus. He used his authority. Rightly. He used it for good. He used it to save. Sinners. Like me. Like you. My brethren. He is. The almighty God. He is. The holy. Holy. Holy Lord God Almighty. Heaven rejoices in that. The angels, the multitudes fall before him. They praise him. No one's singing out of tune. No one's forgetting the lyrics. <laughs> no, you don't even need the accompaniment, right? I don't know what heavenly music is going to be like, but I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to get my, my hoarse voice Absolutely out of the picture 
and to sing with everything in me. I try to do that now. It doesn't work so well some days. But it'll work great then. So, the Lord God Almighty, and then that word reigneth. Let's look at that for just a minute. The word reigneth here, the Lord God omnipotent, the, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the Lord God Almighty reigneth. To exercise, it means to exercise authority at a royal level. To be a king, to rule. Right? It's right there, to exercise authority. What are we seeing when we see him annihilate the harlot of Babylon? Authority used well. It dealt with evil. He didn't destroy. Uh, oh, not one good soul got in the way and got accidentally judged. Doesn't happen. He used his authority for good and to overcome evil. He exercised it at a royal level. He was the king. When you read all those things in Proverbs about king, it's what an earthly king ought to be. This is what the king is. The king. It's the only one that can truly fulfill that. As he should. But we could have good kings. Good. But not almighty. So it also means to be in control in an absolute manner. To control completely. So what's, what, what are we being told? The Lord God omnipotent in his strength, his wisdom, his infiniteness, his eternity, all of the attributes together. He rules and he is sovereign over everything. Could he stop every bit of evil today? Yes. Why doesn't he? You will know in the day of judgment. But he's the one wisely governing all things. We see it in Job, do we not? He said, do you see my man down there, Job? You see him? He's righteous, you know. He eschews evil. That man avoids evil. Satan said, I'm, of course, you keep him. Take away his stuff. He'll hate you. Because he was a rich man. So the Lord said, take it. But you can't hurt him. Satan comes back. He starts again. You've seen my man Job. Yeah. You touch his health. And he'll curse you. Do what you will. But you can't kill him. At every step. God was overseeing that extraordinary providence. I tell you what, I only had a boil once in my life. I can't imagine from head to the bottom of my feet. That's what Satan struck Job with. And his God ultimately overruled it all. He was with him through the whole thing, even when his faith was failing. God keeps his people through difficult times. But he doesn't say to Satan, oh, you can't mess with them ever. He doesn't say that. There are times he'll, he'll let some of the enemy find the cracks in our armor and show us what we are. <clears throat> Thankfully, we have a God who has paid the penalty for our sins in his son, that precious blood that poured down Calvary's cross. Well, so, what does this passage establish? There's a king in heaven. There's a king who has absolute authority. He is the Lord. He is God. He's almighty. And he's sovereign over everything. He's never up there. Going, uh, 
How did that happen? I say that. He never does. Ah, I tried my best, but I failed. He never says that. It never happens. So when things come, that's why we have hymns like, Why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near with his cheer. Never will he leave me. That's why we sing, Whate'er my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. It's because there's a Lord God omnipotent. That's why. Now, we see here from this remarkable image, we see that God, God is sovereign, has absolute authority, and uses it rightly. It's always true. It's always righteous. It's always good. And in our lives, the heartaches, the failures, the limitations, our sins are under his watchful eye. And he keeps us because he's paid the penalty in his son. He used his authority as king to send a substitute for us. Jesus Christ, the God-man, came into this world under the authority of God. He, and Jesus constantly says that. He says, oh, the one that sent me, the one that sent me, the one that sent me. He gave me a command, what I should say, what I should speak. Every time we hear Jesus speaking, we hear what God has commanded that's why Hebrews begins with God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Hallelujah. Well, I will close with this. Nothing is more clearly revealed in Scripture than God's absolute authority. From the beginning words of Scripture, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From that point to the very point in which we live in time and space, God has been ruling over all. Absolutely. Always true. Always right. Always good. And again, when those sorrows and heartaches come into our lives, it comes from a hand of love. Almighty all-knowing and all-present love. So, we will take up there next time because we need to understand God's absolute rule belongs to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is one God in three persons. They all are the one God the Lord God Almighty that rules. We also have to realize that God's absolute authority is revealed in his inspired, infallible scriptures. You should know where this is going at this point. Lastly, God's absolute authority reveals to us the delegated authority of human beings. And we will specifically see, we will specifically see that in the fifth commandment. Parents are delegated authority from the one who has it all. And as he uses it in true and wise and good ways, every earthly parent will fail from time to time. But it's his authority. It's only delegated. And it should be used according to what he has said and what he speaks. Amen. Father, thou art God, there is none else. 
Thou hast said plainly, all the gods of the nations are but idols. Thou art the true God. Thou didst send thy holy son authoritatively to save us. How thankful we are. And we're also thankful when thou dost correct us and chasten us and even wound us when we stray. O Christ, we know that thou comest to find us in the mountains and to bring us back. Lord, we thank thee for thine authority. Please help us to understand it better and by the power of thy spirit and the light of thy word to use it better. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand with me? <clears throat> now unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and, the, and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's go in the name of Christ.